We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place exclusive interviews with players coaches and team executives streaming live and always available on demand stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the odyssey app welcome to 880 in-depth i'm tim shell joined in studio with Peter Haskell. Peter, it's been a, I don't know, it's March 20. March. Yeah, March 2020 when the pandemic began was the last time we did an in-depth together in the studio and the topic was COVID, right? That was the beginning. It's frightening to think how much has transpired since then. So the past couple of weeks we focused on 9-11, but we want to get back to COVID and our questions this week surrounded a couple of things. Uh, first and foremost, vaccine mandates. It is news everywhere. And so this week we wanted to focus on organizations that were requiring their employees to have vaccines or perhaps lose their jobs. So we spoke to the head of one of the largest health care concerns in the state of New Jersey. Bob Garrett is the CEO of a Hackensack Meridian Health, and they're actually going farther than the state mandate. The state says that health care workers have to be vaccinated or be tested at least once a week, Hackensack and others in New Jersey say the testing is not good enough. We need a vaccine. So let's start the show with your conversation with Bob Garrett, the CEO of Hackensack Meridian Health. They're one of the largest. They have, what, 36,000 employees in the state of New Jersey. The state has a mandate requiring that healthcare workers be vaccinated or be tested. How do things look at a hack and sack and what percentage of your folks have been vaccinated? So um, the state uh, mandate went into effect September um, 7th um, and um, we announced a, a policy at Hackensack Meridian that um, all team members had to have at least the first vaccine by October 1st. And if they were getting a two dose vaccine, they needed to be fully vaccinated by November um, 15th. Uh, when we announced that, uh, that policy, um, we were at a 71% vaccination rate of all of our team members. We have about 36,000 team members. Today, as I speak to you, we're at 91%. So the vaccination mandate has been uh, very effective. Um, those numbers continue to go up uh, daily, and I'm optimistic that um, by, um, by October, will have, um, you know, close to uh, full compliance. If folks at a Hackensack Meridian don't get vaccinated by the deadline that you've set, what happens then? 
So um, what would happen is, and, and we've been educating, just so you know, Peter, we've been educating all of the um, all of the team members who have been unvaccinated. We sometimes we 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 go through exactly their reasoning for being unvaccinated, and we try to, you know, stress the importance of vaccination and 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 know why it's important as a healthcare organization. We're hearing it from patients. We're hearing it from visitors all the time. They want to be sure that their um, their doctors, their nurses, their caregivers are vaccinated. They want to they want to know if the um, if the um, housekeeper, the environmental service worker who's cleaning their room has been um, vaccinated. But what would happen is um, as of um, October 1st, if um, if a team member doesn't uh, at least receive that first dose, they would be put on a um, administrative um, suspension for a period of, uh, of seven days, and uh, they would have uh, those seven days to uh, to become vaccinated. And if they um, if they weren't vaccinated by that time, uh, they would then uh, be separated from the organization, because um, as I mentioned, you know, patient safety um, has to come first. So before we delve into that, I am curious. Of the folks that have not been vaccinated, do you know whether it breaks down or how it breaks down doctors, nurses, patient-facing people versus housekeeping, administrators, things like that? Yeah, so um, just about all of our physician workforce has been uh, vaccinated. Can't say 100%, but very close to to 100%. Um, in terms of uh, nurses, um, we've seen a significant number of nurses who were unvaccinated have now be uh, become vaccinated, and there are others that say they will become they will get the vaccination before October first. Uh, so I expect those numbers to come in in the um, in the high 90s um, as uh, as well. With some of the other classifications, um, you know, it, it varies. Um, like I said, we're at an average of 91% now. Uh, some some groups are a little higher, some are um, a little bit lower. But um, certainly, you know, physicians and, and nurses seem to uh, be becoming um, fully vaccinated. Um, and, you know, I think by that deadline, um, most will. The, the thing that I'm curious about, you've got 36,000 people. If just even 5% don't get vaccinated that's 1800 and i guess the question is can you afford to lose that number of people well you know it's uh i I don't want to lose one person you know um very frankly we we hope every single team member uh makes the decision to uh to get vaccinated it's it's so important uh as we're fighting covid19 and this highly contagious uh delta Variant. I don't want to lose even um, even one uh, one person, but um, you know, um, healthcare is what we do. We provide care each and every day, and as I said, our patients, their families, um, visitors, um, coworkers are um, are really um, are really concerned uh, if we have um, team members that are not uh, vaccinated. So, you know, I, I I think I can't afford not to uh, to have this mandate because um, it's. It's just so important and so critical to save lives. I mean, we're we're seeing now, Peter, in our in our hospitals, just about all COVID patients, not all, but just about all COVID patients are uh, are unvaccinated, and those are the ones that, um, sadly, some of them are not are are not making it. Whereas, uh, you know, even you hear about these breakthrough cases, and and there are some hospitalizations with breakthrough cases of people who have been fully vaccinated, but. You know what? Those people are recovering. They, um, by and large, are are recovering. So, 
you know, um, we're fighting a, um, a, you know, the public health crisis of our lifetime here. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think we can afford not to uh, to, to, to have our uh, team members vaccinated. What you have decided in other hospital systems in New Jersey is to go further than the state mandate. So you don't want to use that testing component. Why not do that? Then patients and visitors know someone treating them is is not COVID positive. Uh, well, because, the you know, the... The, the testing can, you know, logistically, the state is saying once once a week, and um, you know, there's no there's no guarantee that uh, somebody, you know, isn't doesn't become infected or is uh, is not contagious after they they are tested. It would be, you know, it'd be very difficult for for us to test uh, every day. Nor is the state mandate uh, along those lines. And just uh, recently, um, I believe it was last week, President Biden. Um, issued a policy uh, that will require all healthcare workers to be um, to be vaccinated. So there won't be a testing component. Um, it will be, uh, you know, 100 uh, percent that all healthcare workers uh, must be vaccinated uh, for any any provider, like any hospital that that uh, receives federal funding. And you know, most hospitals like Hackensack Meridian receive federal funding. So. Um, you know, it's clear, you know, where the president's coming from. Um, it's clear the governor is concerned with it, and that's why the, the mandate was put out uh, the way it was. And uh, as the CEO of Hackensack Meridian Health, I'm very concerned about it. So, you know, we need to, uh, we need to make sure that this, uh, this happens to really protect, um, to protect our, our team members, to protect our patients and, and visitors um, alike. We heard recently about a hospital in upstate New York. It's Lewis County General Hospital. They had 30 resignations. They announced we can't provide maternity services anymore. Uh, once, once we have to deal with those resignations. And I'm curious, do you foresee any kind of similar situation at any of your hospitals? Uh, not at all. Uh, we have made contingency plans. As I said, I expect um, you know a- almost all of our team members when when it's said and done, uh, and the deadline comes, I expect uh, almost all of our team members to be vaccinated. But if there are those uh, some that aren't, uh, we have contingency plans. We've uh, we've made uh, staffing plans in each of our um, specialized areas, in our um, in our nursing uh, areas, in our support areas. So. I don't um, expect any services to be um, impacted by this vaccination mandate. One thing I suspect is difficult for for you is that you talk about these healthcare heroes, and then you have to, in some cases, try to convince or some would say coerce them to get a vaccine. Are, are you concerned about? creating ill will with staffers and maybe even patients who get drawn into this? No, you know, uh, again, we're in the healthcare, uh, we're a healthcare organization. What what comes first are our patients um, always. And um, I can tell you, um, you know, if there are some uh, team members that, uh, that at the end of the day choose not to be vaccinated, you know, I, I understand it. Um, I, I respect it. I may not agree with it, but um, I can tell you that um, that there would be so much more ill will created by the 
overwhelming majority of team members who have chosen to be vaccinated if we didn't put this mandate in uh, in place. I'm hearing it loud and clear from uh, from team members and, and, and even from coworkers of, of those that are not uh, vaccinated. So um, I think we have a responsibility to all of those people. When you talk to healthcare leaders in New Jersey and around the region, what, what kinds of things do you hear about and what kinds of things are you talking about? I'm hearing uh, more and more um, healthcare uh, leaders have chosen the path that uh, Hackensack Meridian has chosen, which is to put a mandate in, uh, in place. You know, the dates might be a little bit different from hospital to hospital or health system to health system. But this is uh, becoming, um, you know, really a um, overwhelming uh, trend, not just in, in New Jersey, but really around the uh, around the nation. And I think, you know, when you have a mandate such as the one that went in uh, by uh, by Governor Murphy and you have a new policy coming out by President Biden that really supports this, um, I think uh, even more organizations will uh, will follow suit. And, you know, the vaccines, if you if you think about the um, the vaccines, they they're they're safe. They're effective. In essence, it's the, the, the largest clinical trial in the history of, uh, of mankind. Um, over uh, five, billion do- 5 billion doses have already uh, been, um, been administered um, ar- around the globe. So it, it is certainly a safe and effective uh, vaccine. I want to switch gears and talk about uh, what you're saying in terms of patients. We see statewide the number is continuing to tick upwards it's over a thousand statewide what are you saying in your system now and what has the impact of the delta variant been so um we have seen a um a tick up um and just to put it in perspective um in april of 2020 we were taking care of 3,000 covid patients across our network that includes our hospitals our long-term uh, care facilities and um, and other settings. Um, the number went down as low as uh, about uh, 40, uh, which was um, probably about uh, beginning of the summer around June and early July. And then it started to tick up with the Delta variant becoming more uh, more prevalent. And today we, uh, we have approximately 240 uh, patients that are hospitalized, Peter. Um, I would say the number, though, uh, over the last 10 days or so has stabilized to, to some extent, um, as has the number in the state of uh, New Jersey, the total number. So it was ticking up, but it's, um, you know, it's, it's stabilized. I don't know if that's a temporary phenomenon or it's going to start ticking up again. I am concerned, you know, uh, because the Labor Day holiday and children returning to school that we might see some, uh, some tick up from those types of uh, events. But um, those 240 patients are, uh, are spread throughout the Hackensack Meridian uh, network. Uh, we're able to, uh, to take care of them very well. Uh, and, uh, you know, our teams are doing a, um, a great job. And, and we're also able to take care of all other patients um, at, the, uh, at the same time. So um, I would say right now it's, it's, um, it's manageable, but something we are paying very close attention to. I want to ask you about that. Kids go back to school. The weather gets colder. More people spend time inside. What kind of concerns do you have? And do you have a sense at this point, is Delta creating more serious illness or just more contagion? 
Um, I would say that um, Delta is, uh, from all the evidence and all the studies that I've seen, that Delta is more contagious. It's not um, providing more uh, more serious um, illness than, than we saw in the, um, the other ways, but it is certainly um, more contagious. And yes, I am concerned about the, you know, the colder weather coming and uh, more gatherings inside, and I think it's important that people continue to adhere to uh, the public health um, directives that are out there, such as social distancing, such as uh, masking inside. I think it's really um, very, very uh, important. If we're going to get through this uh, this particular spike of uh, Delta cases, we're going to need to uh, not only be vaccinated, but we need to adhere to uh, to those social distancing and masking um, uh, guidelines. Bob, last thing for you, looking ahead, what are the biggest concerns you have and how do you see the fall and winter? So I think the, you know, the, the biggest concern I have is that, and, and again, I don't believe this is necessarily going to be a New Jersey issue, but um, my concern is that there, um, there isn't um, enough vaccines given um, around, whether it's around the globe or in other states in the country, where we don't reach uh, what they're calling herd immunity, and therefore the um, the virus will continue to have an opportunity to to mutate and to uh, to re- to continue to uh, to resist and and be prevalent in the uh, in the population. So um, that's my biggest concern. You know, I think at this point the evidence is so overwhelming. You know, as I said, well over five billion doses administered globally, the evidence is so overwhelming that these vaccines are effective, they're safe. So people need to, uh, to, to really get vaccinated. And uh, my concern is that, you know, certain, certain uh, people will, will resist it. And in some, uh, some countries around the world where there isn't access to vaccine, um, you know, they, they just don't, they just won't have the opportunity to, to be vaccinated. So that's, that's probably, you know, my, my, my biggest concern in terms of New Jersey for this winter. Um, you know, I think we can, um, we, you know, hopefully we can keep things under control uh, as more people are vaccinated and, and, you know, hopefully we, you know, we approach, uh, you know, 80% of the population or, or more. I think, um, you know, hopefully before the end of the year, um, the FDA will approve the vaccine for uh, younger children as well, which, you know, gives me great hope as, uh, as well. But, you know, I, I say all that with a word of caution as well, because um, we've seen, you know, from the first waves that, you know, when the winter months come and, and as you said, when people spend more time inside in close quarters, that there is more opportunity to spread. So um, we have to really be diligent. We have to, to keep our eye on this ball, but, um, you know, cautiously optimistic uh, with the vaccination rates going up uh, the way they uh, they are, that uh, that we can get through this uh this winter more safely than the uh, the, the previous uh, the previous one. Bob, thanks so much for your time. Is there anything else that you want to add? Uh, no, I think we're uh, we're good, Peter. Thank you for uh, thank you for uh, speaking to me and uh, for covering this important story. Bob Garrett from Hackensack Meridian Health and our Peter Haskell, who is live in the studio with me. Peter, um, we also had questions this week about healthcare and schools surrounding COVID. So we went to Dr. Eric Asher. He is family medicine doctor at Lenox Hill, part of the Northwell system. And if you think about school in the spring, we had a lot of these cohorting and the, the classes were small. 
That is not the case now. Clearly, that is a concern. What are you seeing now in terms of kids in COVID? So we're definitely seeing kids now and and children of all ages making up approximately 27% of COVID-positive cases, especially since the Delta variant. While severe disease and death is still not very common, we still see it. And we know that children, while many times are asymptomatic carriers or have mild cases of COVID, we still know that they're able to transmit it and spread it to others. So it's very, very important that masking and vaccination are still our best lines of defense for our children. So this may be stupid, but is the greater concern children themselves getting seriously ill? Or is the greater concern children maybe not getting that sick, but passing it on to somebody else? So it's both, because realistically, 50% of all the children who are having COVID now are otherwise healthy, no chronic conditions, no immunocompromised states, very healthy. So it's it's very uncertain why some children do better than others. We're seeing approximately 400 children a day being hospitalized within the last week, most likely because of a return to school. So we don't really know what which coin is worse. Is it, will my child get sick or is my child gonna potentially not do so poorly with COVID by passing on to eight to 10 other people? Or is in some cases we see child children who do very well with COVID in the short term, but then have long haul COVID or an inflammatory disease state a month or two later, having them have an extended ICU stay. So it's really important to make sure that we do whatever we can to prevent the child from uh, interacting with COVID in the first place. You talk about school starting. Last year we had most or many districts hybrid, you had a limited number of kids in the classroom. This year, in many or most places, classrooms are full. What concerns do you have about that? Yes, we absolutely have to do everything we can to provide the safest options for students returning to school. And we know that this return to school is very important for our mental, social, academic, and physical health of our kids. So those who are 12 years of age and older who are not yet vaccinated absolutely have to get out and get vaccinated. That's our best layer of protection. Masking as well is so important because we know in areas where there's decreased vaccination, there's poor masking, this is where we see those resurgences and those rising cases. And we want to do everything we can possible to make sure that this does not happen. You've got parents in some places, including a couple of school districts on Long Island, they're suing about mask mandates. They say it's about freedom. How do you respond to that? My answer to that is we we have to remember our our kids are, are so important. We have to do everything we can to keep them safe. And we know that masking has been proven to decrease transmission. So it's so important to remember, we have to remove the political stigma and boundaries away from protecting our children, our teachers, and support staff. 
And that's really what it all comes down to. You probably hear it and see it all the time. Kids might not be as good as adults at keeping their masks on, keeping over their noses, and really having uh, good mask habits. What do you tell kids? Or like, it's inconvenient, it's uncomfortable, I don't want to wear it. What do you say to them? We hear this a lot, you know, and it really goes down to teaching the kids at a comfortable level, something that they'll understand about why proper mask wearing is so important, how it must cover their mouth and nose, how it must be a snug fit to the face, um, and letting the kid, you know, pick out the mask, whether it's a fabric mask with their favorite superhero or favorite color, is really the best way of having them be a part of this conversation by, by allowing them to have the control over what that mask looks like oftentimes helps. Um, reminding the, you know, our children that you're able to remove it briefly if you're in private for a quick break of, of, of wearing the mask and have, allowing them to have a couple of different backups in their school bag if it gets dirty, if it gets wet, if they want to change the color throughout the day. Anything that will provide them some sort of sense of control, we see is very helpful into engaging them in the process. What should parents be checking with with the school districts to make sure that the schools are doing the right thing? What questions should they be asking about, be it ventilation or, or anything else? I think routine testing would be a wonderful question to ask. You know, a lot of our children, 12 and younger, are not yet eligible for the vaccine. So finding out what kind of tracing or surveillance programs they're doing in case there is COVID positive, understanding if there's any masking mandates for the teachers and support staff in the school to ensure that we're doing everything we can to make sure that it's a safe environment checking to see if we're able to open windows in the classroom to allow for increased ventilation and, and making sure there's hygiene stations. Are our children given the opportunity to wash their hands and hand sanitize prior to meals or are we allowing mask breaks and things of that sort? And in terms of the schools, what, what would you suggest that schools be doing to make sure kids are as safe as possible? Mask mandates absolutely, uh, you know, are so, so important. Masking education about why it's important, reminding that wearing a mask means that it's snug to your face and covers your mouth and nose. Teaching about proper hand hygiene, how to properly wash your hands, the importance of sanitizing prior to a meal, after using the bathroom, prior to touching your face, um, and ensuring that if, if a student is ill, whether it seems like a common cold, a stomach bug, that they go home right away. Uh, we need to make sure that while kids are oftentimes, you know, have a common cold, it could be a mild uh, COVID case. So we have to do a really good job of making sure that we're testing these students as well. Do you have a sense when the vaccine might be approved for kids under 12? And what kind of impact do you think that will have? I think that'll have a great impact. You know, children make up approximately 25% of our population. So 
allowing them the opportunity to get vaccinated will give them and their families that extra layer of protection and also quell some of their anxieties about returning to school, uh, you know, altogether. I think I'm, I'm very hopeful that the vaccine for children under 12 uh, within some sort of age limit should be out by the end of the fall. Um, and I'm very optimistic based on the way that we're seeing preliminary data work and uh, look that this is a, a, a potential target. Should parents be concerned if they've got, you know, a kid who's six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old about, geez, I don't know, I'm kind of worried about this. What would you say to them? I would say that from the research that goes into making a vaccine, uh, especially the COVID-19 vaccine, has been extensively studied. It is safe. It has many of the same components in every other vaccine that your children have already received. The components are safer than, more safe than 75% of the ingredients on your shelves in your house and probably safer and healthier than the snacks that you're sending your kids to school with. Um, and really there's the, the benefit of being vaccinated outweighs any risk. There have been reports of mild heart conditions and, and things of that sort that may have some parents anxious, but realistically, the chance of having one of these syndromes after having COVID is much higher. So I feel as though there should be no uh, worry with, with any parent allowing their child to be vaccinated. I want to get back to something you spoke about earlier in terms of the Delta variant. Are, are we seeing kids getting sicker with Delta or just more kids are getting sick with Delta? It's a combination. Prior to the Delta variant, we weren't seeing many kids who were getting COVID. Uh, the ones who did get COVID were very ill. Now with the Delta variant, we're seeing more kids with COVID and we're seeing more kids get sicker with COVID. So it's a combination of both. What does that tell you, the fact that kids are getting sicker? Well, it tells me a couple of things. One, for sure, we got to do a better job at, the, at what our adults are doing in regards to masking and vaccination because overall we know that this virus is getting smarter and that's what's really intimidating and scary. The more individuals get sick with COVID, the more chances that this virus has the opportunity to mutate, creating more severe variants. And realistically, the more severe variants are going to start affecting us again and again and again. So it's really, really important that we do everything we can to prevent more individuals from getting sick with COVID. One of the things that you mentioned earlier is long COVID. Are the concerns for children the same as for adults? And and how much of a concern should long COVID be for children? Sure. So there's no good data right now that suggests who's going to or not get long COVID. I think whether it's an adult or a child, it's absolutely a risk. What we do worry about with these children who get long COVID is if it turns into a really severe inflammatory disorder that will have the child's 
the ICU. You know, this is when all of their organs, they're saying multi-organ failure, multi-organ inflammation, body systems not working as they properly need to. And because many of our kids have still developing immune systems, they're not able to fight things as well as an adult. And we're seeing this inflammatory disorder in many of these children who do get long COVID, and that's what we're trying to prevent as well. Looking ahead to the fall and winter, what what kinds of things are you keeping your eye on? And, and what is most concerning to you? And with every fall and winter season, there's increases in flu. Um, we know that historically, children do very well when it comes to the flu. Uh, just last year, there were approximately 400 pediatric deaths uh, because of flu. But with COVID and potentially the, a twindemic where we're children could have COVID and flu together, we expect that the outcomes will be pretty poor. So we need to make sure that we're doing everything we can with vaccines for flu and COVID, for masking for both flu and COVID in order to prevent an increase in either disease. Just about every parent that I know is talking about a child with some level of anxiety in general or going back to school. How can parents help their kids? Open communication is absolutely number one. Learning how our children are viewing this transition, seeing it through their lens, and helping them navigate this change, being flexible, helping them return to a daily routine, um, practicing deep breathing, allowing them you know, to have play dates in the park and, and, and release some of this, this energy that they've been, you know, penned up, you know, for, for a while in the house. And, and really this open dialogue with the child, the teacher, and, and the doctor will really help children journey through to this new normal. Our thanks to Dr. Eric Asher. And we wrap up in depth this week in our conversation with Peter Haskell. Peter, a big week in New York for a variety of reasons uh, on the COVID front. Broadway, among others opened up and it was a it was a big week and why is that so important to the city of new york to get um fannies as they say in the seats this is a matter of the city's economy tourists are drawn to broadway that means restaurants maybe not a hotel just yet but restaurants and stores and businesses and the feeling that yes we can get together and hopefully do it safely Thank you for listening to 880 In-Depth. I'm Tim Scheld. The executive producers are myself and Peter Haskell. Thank you to Peter, and thanks to Dempsey Pilat, who helps uh, put these shows together each week. As a reminder, you could always get uh, 880 In-Depth as an on-demand listen. You just have to go wherever you get your audio and search for 880 In-Depth. Have a great week, and as always, be safe. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.